we're, we're trying to get across today is we talked about discipleship last week and how discipleship, I think the main thing I wanted you to take away is discipleship is God-ordained to happen really within the local church. And while it does happen outside the walls of the church, we do meet with people, we have coffee, we discuss doctrinal matters. When we think of the, the classic text of chapter 4, we see that discipleship really is rooted and grounded in Christ discipling the apostles who planted churches and Christ giving teachers to the church to, to train us up in the way of godliness. And then we speak truth to one another and grow in that. The discipleship happens primarily within the church walls, according to the New Testament. <coughs> and so, going into some aspects of that, we, we looked last week that we were to teach and be taught. That's the primary thing that discipleship entails, that we have a teachable spirit, we put ourselves under the admonition and correction of other brothers and sisters, and their positive teaching. And today we're going to look at admonishment, and what the goal and how we can admonish one another in a good, edifying, biblical way, okay? And starting in Romans chapter 15, as we've read, I hope not ad nauseum, but we've read many times, we see in verse 14 that Paul writes to this congregation he has never met. I'm sure he's heard of them through letters. I'm sure that the witness of their congregation has gone to his ears, but never having met them, he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Okay? So, let's just talk about this. Because obviously you know, I'm not going to try to pretend I have notes. Because I don't. So, when he says that we're filled with all goodness and all knowledge, what could Paul mean there? And we could even state that negatively. Either tell me what Paul means by we're filled with all goodness. Thank you, brother. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Uh, or what it means that, what it can't mean that we're filled with all goodness. Can't mean we're perfect. That's right. It cannot mean that we are um, without sin. You're going to say the same thing, brother? Do you have something else? That's <laughs> right. Yes. <coughs> yes, that, I think that's absolutely right. <clears throat> We're full of goodness. Okay? So what could that mean? Brother. If you look at verse 15 and verse 15. Yes. 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 Yes, yes, and the, the word that's probably used here is like play Roma, to fill up, to complete, to mature something. And we see this same word in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 tells us something that's similar about the fullness that we have. Notice, And this is where we get in the song, Complete in Thee. Um, let me make sure I'm in the right 
Nine. Yes, that's probably right, brother. Yes. Thank you. Verse 10 is really what we're looking for. But yeah, so starting in verse 8, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled. That's completed. You have been made complete in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. And so what I think Paul is doing in Romans chapter 15 is he's pointing us to not what we have in ourselves apart from Christ. He's saying that in Christ, we we have everything we need. We have all goodness available to us by the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit dwelling in us to be able to go through this task, right? He not only says that we're full of goodness, but we're full of all knowledge. Does that remind you of any biblical texts? <clears throat> yes. That's true. That's true. What does that mean? Yeah. So let's start with the same thing. What can't it mean? What do we know it doesn't mean? Perfect knowledge. It doesn't mean that in myself, apart from God's presence and His indwelling Spirit, that I know everything there is about everything that has to do with Christianity and theology and the Bible and everything. I hope not, because that means that there's never been a Christian ever that I've ever known, right? So, what could it mean? I'm going to take you to two texts that come to mind. And again, I don't know if... Correct me if I'm wrong here. Obviously, this is far less study time than we usually have. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Notice that this text is quoting from Jeremiah chapter 31, and it's detailing how the new covenant is different from the old covenant. And something that is said here is, notice verse 10, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. Right? So, this text, it's not saying that we don't need teachers in the church because the writer of this book is a teacher to this congregation, right? It's very obvious. He tells us in chapter 13 to remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, to submit to them, right? What's being said here is it's not like the old covenant where we we brought up children in the covenant. They were covenant members, but they didn't know who the Lord was, right? They were part of the covenant, but they didn't know anything about the Lord. In the new covenant, it's only regenerate believers, those who have been transformed by faith in Christ and renewed in their hearts. And with that renewal, there is a knowledge of Christ that is imbued into us. We don't start at zero in the Christian faith, right? He reveals something about himself that we confess and believe, right? We don't have to say to everybody, know the Lord, because we assume that everybody in the new covenant knows him, right? In an experiential, in a good way, the second text I'd have us turn to is in 1 John chapter 2. And this is maybe a little bit different for us to think about, but I think that this passage often confuses us, and I think that it's helpful to think about this. Notice, in we're going to read in verse 18. 
Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they were not of us. But you have been anointed with the Holy One, and you, have all, you all have knowledge I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. So, it says that we have an anointing, and through this anointing, um, we have all knowledge, right? And I, I would say that what that's pointing to is what we discussed last week, that Christ is our prophet, priest, and king. As the anointed one, he is our prophet, okay? And the knowledge that Jesus Christ preaches, right? The knowledge that Jesus Christ has, that anointing as Christians, because we're united to him, we have, we have some knowledge of the Lord through that, right? It, it's implanted in us. We, we are saved with some knowledge of who Christ is and who God is, okay? So, yeah, brother, talk to me. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. 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 Yes, and that, that's, I think, what the main point I'm trying to get at. As we're considering what Paul's saying here, he's saying it's because of our union with Christ through the Holy Spirit that these things are coming to us. They're not in us, naturally, right? We haven't developed them of our own flesh, but because we're in Christ, that's where our sufficiency comes. And because of this, this goodness, and because of this knowledge, we're able to instruct one another. Okay, yeah. Well, there's certainly both aspects, but I wouldn't want to divorce one from the other, right? Because it is propositional as well, right? There is a, yeah, 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 there, there, you know, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, right? And no matter how little of that is understood by the, the convert, there's some understanding of that, right? He's the mediator, he's the Christ in some, some way, right? Yeah, I, that's important though, right? It's not just head knowledge. This is knowledge that we believe, we trust. There's a wholehearted trust in this, okay? But it's united to Christ that all these things come. And so, we're able to instruct one another. We're able to admonish one another, to correct one another. Now, why would Paul write that? Yeah. Stirring them up to something that they already know. 
Yes? I, I agree. I agree. It seems like, I guess maybe there's, I think there's theological things going here too, but my mind first and foremost just goes to practically motivating someone. You don't motivate someone by telling them you don't have what it takes. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, amen. When we read through this text, we should be thinking, wow, I'm able to, I'm able to instruct my brothers. And this dispels all the lies that we tell ourselves that we're not able to. Okay? I, I don't have the proper knowledge to be able to instruct my brother. I don't have the proper gifts to be able to instruct my brother. I don't have the emotional capacity to be able to admonish my brother. Paul comes at the end of this letter and tells these people he's never met, because you're united to Christ, I believe that's the overarching theme, you're able to instruct one another. And therefore, you ought to enter into the, um, the fellowship of the saints and encouragement of the saints with some boldness, right? Not in yourself, but in the goodness and the knowledge that God has imparted to us in the Christian life, right? There's a sufficiency there. Brother Joey. Yes. Yes. So, we're able to instruct Yes. Yes. And I, I think that the context of the letter we're looking at, I think that Paul's saying the things that I've written to you, too. As well, you're, you're able to instruct one another on these because he writes right after. But I've written some of these things uh, as a reminder, basically. But on some points, I've written to you very boldly by the way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God, right? So, the question that I have first and foremost, can we think of a couple examples in the Scripture of, of this happening? Of correction, admonishment happening? Galatians 2. Yeah. Galatians chapter 2. So let's turn there. <clears throat> this is Paul admonishing Peter in a very strong, very striking way because I don't think we grasp this fully. It's part of the reason we're going through the whole Christ. That Peter, what he did, you know, it, we might see it as a small thing, but, but Paul saw it as Peter's denying the gospel here. Okay? No, notice in verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Strong language. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel... I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, I think we have to be careful with this text. Because this isn't saying that anytime you see anything wrong done by anybody, you stand up in the public setting and call them out. Okay? In fact, we, I think we have other scriptures that would say that we don't do that very clearly. But why would Paul do that here? Why was it appropriate? I, and I believe it is. Yeah, brother. Public 
And, and you have two things that go together very well. You have a public sin of a leader. So not every time that a leader sins is it called out before the congregation, because we see in 1 Timothy chapter 5, you don't bring a charge right, to an elder except for the charge of one or two or three witnesses. These things have to be deliberated. But this is a public sin of a leader. Right? Oh, well, that's right. That, that's right. And even broader than that, even though that's certainly true, Paul's concerned about the people that are sitting, right? The Jews and Gentiles that are coming and gathering. That This is a denial of the gospel. And Peter, by this act of cowardice, which I understand is cowardice here. I'm not saying I would do any different, and I hope I would. But Peter's act here, it was a betrayal and setting up two different tiers in Christianity. You have the Jewish Christians, you have the Gentile Christians. We won't eat with them. They're not one body with us, right? It's a serious thing. So Paul, we see a very clear admonition that, that Paul, he felt it appropriate to, to admonish Peter. So, but in our minds, these are two apostles, right? Admonishing one another. Do we see, do we have any examples of a, somebody admonishing a teacher? Yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah. Apollos. If we're thinking of the same thing. Okay, well, let's turn to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. Um, yeah, Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Notice. Now, a Jew named Apollos, and we, we should not discount Apollos as a naive, backwoods Baptist preacher here or something, right? Apollos, uh, what do we know about Apollos? What's that? He's a great teacher. He was, uh, he's mentioned in 1 Corinthians that some people follow Christ, some follow Apollos, some follow Cephas, and some follow Christ, right? This is a, a premier teacher in the mind of the ancient church. This is one of the the top example, or top picks, except for Paul, for one of the writers of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. Um, but a native of Alexandria came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man and competent in the Scriptures. He had, instructed, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being firm in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Okay? And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. And he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Right? Is that the same one? Okay. So you had a Priscilla and Aquila who, as far as I know, had no church office. It's not mentioned in the New Testament. And they see this man preaching, and they admonished him in some degree. Now, it wasn't as strong as... Paul, but how did they do it? Brother. They took him aside. Took, yes, they, that's right. They took him aside privately and explained to him the way of God more accurately, right? So we, we, we're starting to see some divisions here, I hope, right? It's not a, a flat line. You hear something spoken from the pulpit even that you think, hmm, I don't know if I agree with that. You don't say, well, that's what Paul did in Galatia. In the book of Galatians, he stood up and he called them out. 
I, I think that the primary thing, unless there's an incredibly bad problem denying the gospel, we have here, he took them aside privately and explained the word of God more accurately to them, right? And God, I'm going to put it forward, and it's always uncomfortable as a teacher to say this, but I think this applies to, to Sunday school even sometimes, right? That I've been through many Sunday schools, especially we try to have a dialogue where sometimes it can get, and it hasn't in a long, long, long time, it can get really heated, okay? Sometimes we need to take somebody aside privately, maybe afterward. They might, they might be wrong, but sometimes we need to restrain our punishment in teaching and take somebody away privately. But the point is, this requires wisdom, okay? Any other examples of admonishment? Okay, yes. Mm-hmm. It's a great, that is a great example, brother. Didn't cross my mind. Wonderful, wonderful example. So, uh, first Samuel, oh, first Samuel 25. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. First Samuel 25. David admonishes, or Abigail admonishes David. This king. Uh, he, he has already been anointed as the king of Israel. David, a man after God's own heart, right? No more respected man by the Jews than this, this woman. And I say that with, you know, in the Old Testament. Uh, I think that there's some humility shown by David in, in a great way here. This woman comes to David. She takes these skins and puts them <clears throat> on her donkey. And I'm trying to get the exact verse so we don't read a whole... 24? Okay. She came, and notice how Abigail admonishes David. She fell at his feet and said, On me, O Lord, be the guild. Let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so he is. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men, my Lord, whom you sent. Now then, my Lord... Excuse me. As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And let this be my present to you. And uh, so, he, she is admonishing him not to, not to find salvation with his own hand here. Not to let his passions take control of him and go after this man Nabal and kill him wickedly. Right? But notice how she does it in the spirit of gentleness, right? So we are running really low on time. I think that some of the things that we can see here already is that when we're admonishing anybody, not just teachers, not just kings, okay? I think we must come in a spirit of gentleness to our brother. That, that we have, what are the three C's, Joe? I know, I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. Change. Coupled with... That's it's right. So this is biblical counseling, these three C's. We have change by confrontation coupled with concern. Okay? So we have confrontation here, right? In, in all these examples we've looked at, and every time we admonish somebody, there, there, there's a confrontation, isn't there? We can't avoid that. And in our culture and in my heart, I want to avoid that. It's a confrontation. But always change by confrontation coupled with concern, Right? Abigail, she's concerned about David, right? 
David, you're going you're to mar your whole legacy here, right? No longer, if you do this thing, is everybody going to be able to say, well, David didn't try to save himself, but God did it for him. You're going to ruin everything for yourself, David. Please don't do this thing, right? And I think that even in the words of Paul, as strong as they are, Peter, you're, what you're doing is not in step with the gospel, Right? What you're doing is not in step with the gospel. This is serious. You, you can't do this. And I think that we have every idea from Galatians 2 that Peter probably had a public repentance at that moment. We don't know that from the text, but I have no reason why we wouldn't think that. Okay? Um, do we, can we think of any other examples? It, well, no, it's the, it, you're talking about Acts 20. It's the elders of Ephesus. They meet on the beach of Miletus. Okay. I think I think that there there's a reason why the Bible translates it different ways here. Admonishment, I think, can have a more positive element in our mind, or it can have more of a you know coming at you kind of idea to it. But yeah, I think that that's good. That's a really long text. I'd ask you to read it if you have time. Acts chapter 20. Um, where he gives his own personal example of what he did. He, he did not hold back anything that was profitable to them. He preached the entire counsel of God to them. His hands were clean from the blood of all men, right? And he wants change in the Ephesian elders, right? From confrontation coupled with concern, yeah. Well, that's certainly true. And the, the reason I didn't start there is because we have this thing in our mind, well, that's what Christ did, and I'm, I can't do that. I'm not equipped. And I, What I'm trying to convince you of is that the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, says that you, you have the duty to, and you are equipped to do it. You are equipped to do it. But, again, it's... Yeah, brother. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, I think that's great, brother. Uh, let's turn there real quick. Acts 17. And I just have a couple more things to say after this. We can do this again next week if we're not clear. Again, there's great humbleness and apology here. Um, Acts 17, something we usually don't notice about the Bereans, we typically take this verse and say, well, this tells me that I go to my Bible personally and I'm looking for problems and I'm going to, you know, uh, unbelief, right? I, I am unbelieving until I can see it that it's true, which is not bad in and of itself. But I want us to see the attitude of the Bereans, I think, is a little more full than that, Okay. Rather than Paul coming and they have an automatic disbelief of him, I actually think it was kind of the opposite. They had a, they had a willingness. Notice this. Um, in verse 11, this is the text we always quote, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and I want us to think carefully about what's said about these Jews. Examining the, oh, I'm sorry. They received the word with all eagerness. 
examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So they didn't just accept what Paul says, right? We know that. And that's the, the point that we're always trying to get at. They were examining the Scriptures to make sure these things were so. But what else does it say about them that we always just skip over? I've never heard anybody quote on it when they take this text. They, they receive the Word with eagerness, right? Right? Um, so, again... Admonishment, who had this attitude about us, right, that we need to be careful not to be just censorious and we're trying to pick people apart and go after them, right, that there's a gracious aspect to it is what I'm trying to get at here. And that last point was a little bit probably a rabbit trail. But um, so as we think about admonishing one another, a couple things, if this is the last time we're going to talk about this in a, in a section called admonishment. We must only admonish brothers and sisters from what we can clearly show in the Bible is sin. Okay, I, I know we beat that drum a thousand times, but it, it needs to be beaten over and over because we by nature have uh, a law written on our hearts that not necessarily the Lord has. Okay, We have our own scruples, and we want to impose our personal scruples always on everybody else, Right? And that's typically where all church problems come from. Somebody has a scruple of their heart that they can find nowhere in the Bible, but they know it's true somehow, unmediated by the Word and Spirit. They know that this is wrong, and they go after somebody in the church about it. Okay? We, we must divest ourselves of that and say, even if this thing makes me uncomfortable, if I cannot clearly show in the Bible that this is a sin, then I, I must refrain. Now... I think that you can go to that brother and sister and say, I've noticed that you engage whatever, whatever, in whatever behavior. Can we talk about that? Because I'm confused about it. I'm not saying that you're in sin because I don't see the Bible, but my conscience is bothered. Maybe my conscience needs to be sharpened by the Holy Spirit in Scripture here, right? But again, it's that attitude of, I could be wrong about this, but I, I could be wrong. Brother, do you have something to say? Yeah. Yes. Well, and, and I, I think that you can say that. I think you can say that exact thing, right? Without saying it is sin, right? And without condemning them. And if you can't show it in the Bible, I think that the, the New Testament ethic demands of us to say, I've seen this lead down a bad path, brother, but until I can show you that this is sin, I'm not, I'm not going to judge you for this, Right? Uh, don't try to hide it from me. You know, we want to live openly before one another, but this is my concern, and please talk to me about it, right? And, and all of this implies an openness in the congregation that I am willing to say, and all of us should be willing to say to our brother and sister, if you see something in my life that you're concerned about, come and talk to me about it, okay? And to have the willingness in ourselves to, to go to brothers and sisters, and, and have that open conversation with this background attitude of grace. I might be wrong. I might be misunderstanding, right? And we approach people like Abigail, like Priscilla and Aquila, sometimes like Paul, right? And, and we say, please, uh, just, just hear me out. This is concern that I have. And, and explain it to me. We're opening a dialogue. We're not 
We're not sitting as judges on the bench here at this moment. That comes at a later point, which we're going to discuss next week. When we do see that a brother or sister is in sin, clearly revealed in Scripture, and they, they refuse to repent of it. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. Do we have any other questions? Thoughts? No, it's woefully insufficient, probably. Anything we missed that is necessary for this topic? The book of Proverbs, yes. Read the book of Proverbs. Okay, yeah. yeah and, but we, we have, yeah, that's, that's a, a sad something we didn't touch on, right? We, we have many things spoken about the tongue, right? Uh, a wise word in fitting season, you know, uh, that a soft tongue breaks the bone, right? Wonderful wisdom in Proverbs, obviously, that I'm ashamed to say we didn't even touch on. Yes. And we're happy to do that next week. But if you want us to, please talk to me about it so we don't move on. And Joey is doing it next week. <laughs> so it will, be, it will be more thought out than this was, I promise you. Um, <laughs> brother. Yes, yes. Yeah. We're, we're, we're happy to, to take it. We are, yeah, we're trying to figure out what we're going to do next. And we're, we both are inclined to go through the 1689, but we're, we're not sold on that yet. We just, it's hard for us to pick something we think would be better at the moment. So if you have any ideas, I know we had a questionnaire. Please talk to us. But all the things that everybody that did write, we feel are included in, in going through that. So, um, anything else? Okay, let me pray. Lord, we, we come before you. We thank you for this day. We love, we love.